Well, good morning. It's good to get to be together to open God's word and worship him together. And just remember uh, who we are in him. Today is a significant Sunday. As Heath mentioned this weekend, we had the privilege of hosting our annual Grace Summit. Uh, so we had almost 400 leaders from across all 10 Grace campuses uh, gathered here yesterday for worship and teaching. Many of you were a part of that. Many of you served for that. And I am so proud of our Grace Monroe team, all of you that just did such a phenomenal job hosting and uh, showing off our little town and our, our church. But it was a beautiful day. Yeah. So thank you. It's significant. And I'll share something that uh, for me, it really was, um, and it's easy to forget, but 2018, four years ago, uh, Pentecost, we gathered on that field with the Grace family and prayed. And this building, there was still a giant roof. I mean, there was a giant roof. There still is a giant roof. A giant hole in the roof. The floor back there where the bleachers are was completely sunk into the ground. Many of you were there, walked to this building, prayed over it. So to be back here with the Grace family, uh, praying and worshiping God together to move us forward into what he has us next, for us next was just a really powerful day. And so I'm excited about this Sunday. I think it's a very a significant Sunday even for us as a church family. But uh, it, as we invest in your hearts to follow Jesus well, and uh, to be led by Jesus as you lead others, pursuing God's heart for the restoration of all things. Uh, we are also led in this church. Uh, we have a group of elders of, that have the spiritual oversight of this church. And this is a Sunday that we get to present to you uh, our new elders that have been nominated by our current elder board. And, uh, and the way that at Grace this works is we'll present um, this, these couples, these men, and, uh, and then give you two weeks to come back to us. Uh, if there are any concerns, biblically, if you have any, uh, like reading the biblical qualifications of what it means to be an elder for the church, uh, if there's any reason that you are concerned about uh, the, the ones that we are presenting to you to come to me, to come to any of our, our current elders, and, uh, but in two weeks we will vote as a church body to affirm um, to, to affirm them to, to spiritual oversight of our, of our local church. And so today I do want to, actually uh, we have some uh, ballots and uh, if we could pass those out. If you are a member of Grace and uh, if you're not sure what that means, if you consider Grace Monroe your church home, um, then uh, we ask that you just get a ballot and just slip up a hand. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a ballot. But today uh, the following are presented to you for confirmation. This list of potential elders is the result of board nomination, the individual's desire to serve, interviews with the nominees, and, and then congregational affirmation. These individuals have committed to serving for three years alongside the existing Grace Monroe Church Board to shepherd and serve the church. And so we are pleased to present to you Kirkland Dixon and his wife, Denise. Where's Kirkland? Right there, if you want to know who he is. And then Rodney McCart. And his wife, Christy, and there's Rodney right there. Again, if you have any questions about those, uh, those families, and uh, you can pray over them, meet with them, talk with them. We have two weeks, and then we will vote to affirm them into that role. And so, today also is the second week of... I did this wrong. We should not be passing out ballots right now. <laughs> we should be passing out ballots in two weeks. But you can hold on to that ballot, pray over it, put it on your refrigerator. 
That's hilarious. It's been a long weekend, y'all. <laughs> so for real, I'll take it home and pray over it. It'll be great. These are going to be the most prayed over elders we have ever had. So today is the second week of our Rooted series, and last Sunday was amazing. The feedback I have heard, the stories that you have shared out of your groups uh, that all launched last week. If you did not jump into that, we still have groups that are available that you can jump in week two. Uh, this five-week series on being rooted in all that God has for us so that we can grow into the fullness of life, that we can become fruitful, living lives of substance and depth. And so last week we looked at the renewing of the mind. Today we'll be in Romans uh, 12, 3, looking at telling our story, seeing our story from God's perspective. And so again, you're going to want a Bible. We'll be, uh, if you need a Bible, slip up a hand. But it is my privilege to introduce our speaker, uh, teacher for today, who has been, um, I shared this yesterday, there are few people that have had more of a profound impact in my life and in my wife Sadie's life than this couple, Jamie and Donna Winship. Uh, they currently lead a, a ministry that is coaches and consultant, uh, consults uh, into the things that they have sown into us, how to hear from God, how to discover your true identity in God and step into that kingdom calling that he has for us. It's called Identity Exchange. Uh, recently released a book that I know many of you have gotten and read uh, called uh, Living Fearless. But let's give a warm welcome to Jamie Winship. Thank you. Oh, yeah. There we go. One, two. There we go. All right. What can I? Can I use the table up here? Oh, yeah. That's okay. There we go. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. We were... We were doing a conference at our church recently, and um, it was like a big deal. And so I noticed that when the pastor, our pastor Derek, spoke, you know, they had a they had a worship group up, and they led into his time. There were breakout sessions and everything in his time. And then um, when our executive pastor spoke, they had a worship band, and before she spoke, and then when it was my turn, there was nothing there. It was so funny. I came in and I felt like. Was I terminated? What happened? Like, what? There was nobody, no musicians, anything. Anyway, I don't know why I thought of that, because I think too highly of myself, which is our topic uh, this morning. Um, so it's good to be here. This, I, I looked through all the rooted material. It's really good, especially for this week. Um, telling your story, which is what we really actually love to talk about, is how do you tell your story rightly? And so this passage, I, if you have your a Bible or access to it, um, just look at this verse. I have two translations of it because it's such a, it's really an interesting verse, Romans 12, 3. So we're like pretty heavy on one and two. And then you get down into like, how does the body work together? But this is, this is um, as Kelly said yesterday, uh, it's a transitional verse. It's like moving from the do not conform any longer to the patterns of the world down into, well, how does the body function? There's this key verse right in between there. It's like a conjunction and or something or a contrast. And it's this really interesting verse. It, um, this is one translation. It says, I, this is the one from the Rooted Workbook. I realize 
God has treated me with undeserved grace. I realize that God has treated me with undeserved grace. And so I tell each of you, this is Paul writing, and so I tell each of you not to think you are better than you really are. <laughs> wow. Hmm. Use good sense and measure yourself by the amount of faith that God has given you. Use good sense and measure yourself by the amount of faith that God has given you. Now, so when, when we talk about measuring ourselves, that's a, touchy, that's a touchy concept. What does it mean to measure yourself? And it, actually, we talked about this yesterday. Um, the word, the idea of to measure really is the idea of to do things in measure, to balanced. It's a, an idea of being balanced. But the word measure has etymologically developed into this idea of what's your value to measure like this. And just because of the work we do with, and, and we have to deal with a lot of um, economic issues in the companies that we work with, we, we our team did a long study uh, of economics and the word measure is pretty key when you're reading that, that study of economics. And I read a book, it's a very in-depth, boring book, on um, the, word, the word economy through Christian history, the word economics, through the history of Christianity. Um, and a lot of it was about this word to measure. And so uh, Aristotle wrote... Um, he said that the immeasurable is always more important than the measurable in society. Think of that. The immeasurable is always more important in a society than the measurable. So when you think, well, what, is, what, is, what are the immeasurables? What would you say? What are the immeasurable? What's immeasurable in society? What do you think? Any, what, say? Love, right, love. Love's fairly important, isn't it? Like that's, in fact, you know, if we keep reading through Paul, he says, you can have all knowledge. You can have all knowledge. You can speak with the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. You can even commit yourself or submit yourself to death by flames and it, if it's not sourced in the immeasurable of love, the measurable result of what you've done is worthless. That is a powerful statement. And then that's 1 Corinthians 13. And then he just goes on. And, you know, and the, only, the only things that really matter in life are the immeasurables. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is the immeasurable love. However, we don't believe that. What we think is most important are the measurables. We do, in our culture, really around the world. And so we're raised very young, from generation to generation, that the most important things in your life are the things that can be measured about you. Even when we come to God. Even when we come to God. So here's another translation. This is from the message. Romans 12, verse 3. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me. 
And especially as I have, this is a word from yesterday too, interesting, Dr. Chip. And especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. So responsibility, remember the, the concept of responsibility that everything depends on you is not a biblical idea. Ever. God never invites someone into something and then says, and you're responsible for the outcome. Never. Nowhere in scripture. So when you, when you ask a, a question like, well, what are my responsibilities in this? Or what are my expectations? You're actually outside of scripture already. And you're in the world. And you're in the lie of the enemy. Right? That's like, that's hard for us to imagine. My life is all about what's my responsibility and what are the expectations. And when you get a job, you have your list of responsibilities and expectations. Well, that's actually, the idea in scripture is not that God is giving you responsibilities. He's inviting you into things and you have the ability to respond. That's the biblical idea. It's very different. So imagine if Jesus is calling these young disciples who are teenagers and he's saying, follow me and I will make you to become, listen to what he says, follow me and I'll have a list of expectation and responsibilities that you'll need to sign as part of this calling. That's what we would have done. We don't want any wrong expectations. Those are false expectations. Follow me, and this is what he says, I will make you to become. So whose responsibility is it? It's his responsibility toward them, to them. It's his what does it respond toward them, as they were saying yesterday? And so, so if, you, when, if, if, if Jesus calls the disciples and says, look, here's what's going to happen to you guys. Imagine, because, so here's our expectations, that you are willing to die as a martyr. And he starts telling them, you actually will be beheaded. You will be quartered. You're lucky, you're just going to be boiled in oil. Um, these are our expectations for you. You know what they would have said? We're not in. We're not going. He doesn't do that to them. Because when you put responsibility on people, an expectation on people, you create fear and disappointment right away. Right away. But if you're inviting people to respond to things, that's different. So Jesus says, I'm inviting you to follow me. If you follow me, I will make you to become people who will go into death with joy. If he told, now, you guys need the responsibility to make yourself capable of doing that. They couldn't do it. And that's kind of how we think about this thing. I got to just do, I got to make myself believe all this stuff. So we have this beautiful passage, faithful is he who calls you, there's the invitation, who also will do it. Can you join that? Yes, yeah, yes I can. What, what's my ability to respond is my looking at Jesus going, I will follow. That's it, there it is. And in following him and submitting myself to him, which is my spiritual service of worship, 
and stop conforming to the responsibility and expectation measurement patterns of the world, then you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll know the right and excellent way to go. That is so beautiful, it's indescribably beautiful. Who would say no to that? But it's not how it's presented. And so, uh, so Paul is saying this, I'm speaking to you out of the deep gratitude for all that God has given me. That's what he's saying. On the Damascus Road, I'm doing everything wrong. I have a high list of responsibilities and expectations for my pharisaical sect that I'm part of, and I'm measuring myself by the number of Gentiles I can prosecute. He's in this career mode, and it's all built on in this mode, this measurement mode, this wrong view, this satanic view of self-promotion and self-protection. It has to be. What if you fail in your responsibilities? Well, it was their fault. Well, it was the system's fault. We don't have enough money. There's not enough time. Self-protection, you have to get in it because you can't do all these responsibilities. You can't meet all these expectations. So you self-promote pride and you self-protect pride. They're both pride. They're two you're like walking on this razor's edge of the truth of who you are and who God is, and the enemy will take you going off in either direction. You think too much of yourself, fall. You think too little of yourself, fall. Both of those are rooted in fear. Fear. Pride. Anyone that's struggling with pride in either self-promotion or self-protection is motivated by fear. That's what that is. That's why the number one ex exhortation in Scripture is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. If you weren't afraid, you'd stop self-protecting and self-promoting. What are you afraid of? So, so in this translation, Paul says, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given to me. When? Well, in my mother's womb, he says, I was called to the Gentiles, and at the right time, God made it known to me. In my mother's womb, I was given an identity. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. So I just started pursuing to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. What else do you do? You, you, you become as high level as you can at whatever you're trying to do. But then God made it known to me, my true identity, and not only am I called to the Gentiles, I'm called to Gentiles in places where no one's ever been. That's what God's inviting him into. And he's, he has deep gratitude for all that God has given him. What identity? And identity leads to purpose. Being informs doing. So when you think about that, it's really beautiful. Romans 12, 3 is quite beautiful as your mind is being renewed and you're going to move into not conforming to the patterns of the world. What are the patterns of the world? Self-protection and self-promotion based in fear. Because if you don't get that worked out, you will never work well in a community. Because then in the community, what you're going to do is self-protect and self-promote. And then the team, the body, will break down as it often does, because I'm measuring myself by productivity. He continues, 
I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibility or responsibility toward you. Living then, as everyone does, in pure grace. He's telling us the truth of what life is about. You are living inside of pure grace. Grace, nothing to prove, nothing to lose. No need for self-promotion, no need for self-protection. Nothing to prove, nothing to lose, grace. Where did that grace come from? God. Given to you. Do you deserve it? Nope. Living then, as everyone does, in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. You're not, your goal is not to prove God. It's not, that's not the goal. But you, you won't be able to do it. Your goal, your goal is to follow him in pure grace and he will make you to become the identity that he knit together in your mother's womb beyond what you could ask or imagine i don't know it's a, it's it's an amazing invitation the reason i think the world doesn't get it is because i don't think we get it It's important to not misinterpret yourselves. Don't misinterpret yourselves, your identity, as people who are bringing this goodness to God like God is measuring you. He's not. When did Christ die for you? When you didn't know him. When you didn't measure up. Why now, Galatians, do you think it's about measuring up? And then it becomes a burden because now I have all these responsibilities and God has all these expectations for me. Does he? Is that true? No, Paul continues, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way, Romans 12, 3 still, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God or who God is, the only way to accurately understand ourselves is by who God is and what God does for us. That's the way to understand yourself. By who God is and what God has done and will do and is doing for us, for you, for me. Not by who not by what we are and what we do for him not by what we are or how we view ourselves and what we do for him it's not it wrong that's a lot so so like okay so good wow that's incredible and then when you go into the uh, you're going to love digging into the the workbook through the week because it's all about who am I? Who does God say that I am? It's a great question. It's something we, should, we need to ask ourselves every day. God, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Because all day long, the enemy, the world, the lie, all of it is telling you who you are also, and it's false, and it hurts you. 
but it's easier to believe. It takes no faith to believe what the enemy says about you. Zero faith to believe it. You're an idiot, I know. No faith. But to believe what God says about you always requires faith because it's so great. It's incredible. God's like, I'm so proud of you. Really? Why? I mean, I hope you're proud of me. Faith is the substance of your things you hope for. There it is. That takes faith to believe that. And the deeper you submit yourselves, Romans 12, 1, to God, the more you understand who God is, the more you understand who you are, and the more you understand who others are. Who does God say that you are? Who does, who does God say that I am? And when I look in the mirror in the morning, or any time, do I see what God sees when he looks at me? Because that's the goal. To see yourself the way God sees yourself. And when you do that, it will be a measured view of you. It will be true. It will be a true view of you. Not too much, not too little. I'm going to say this again. Thinking too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself is both pride. They're both pride. And pride is sourced in fear. The more proud a person is, the more afraid they are. When I, when I hear a person saying, you know what I did, you know what I did, and they start, you know, saying what they did, my question to them is, what are you afraid of? Why do you got to keep telling us how amazing you are? What are you afraid of? That you're not going to be seen. So you got to keep making yourself seen. Here's the way people make themselves seen. To be a high achiever. To be a high achiever. We like them because they produce stuff for us. Especially if you have an employee that's a high achiever. Good. They may be the most whacked out, wrecked human being. But man, do they produce. So we'll overlook that. We'll say like, yeah, we know they're awful people, but they're on a journey. <laughs> he's on a journey, and plus he's doing everything I want. We say this about politicians. We say, that, we say this a lot. We say this about ourselves. Yeah, I'm unhappy, but wow, am I producing. Yeah, I'm an alcoholic, but man, am I nailing it. Right? So it's, it's, a, it's, it's that's, that's one way you can deal with the fear of not being seen is like make yourself seen that way and it's kind of acceptable. I'm going to get on Instagram every day and show myself to people. And then other people are going to look at the number of what hits I have or whatever views and they're going to go, wow, that person. And then we measure ourselves off of that. And Satan's laughing his head off. Oh my gosh, they're so bought into this whole measurement thing. And they actually want to be like this person. They're measuring themselves against this person. And if you met that person, you probably hate them. Because the whole thing's false. Why are they doing that? They're afraid of not being seen. The other way you can make yourself be seen is by going into a school or a movie theater and shooting everybody in the place. That's another way that comes out. 
We don't like that one. But it's still an unseen, fearful person making themselves seen. And then what do we do with those people? We lock them away in a place where they'll never be seen again. And we go, good, justice. So, the only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what go who God is and what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Okay, so I, I brought this book up here not to sell a book, actually, because I want you to see this book because I'm self-promoting, but not that. <laughs> and I just said all that as a caveat to protect myself. Did you see how I did both right then? We're trained in this. We're experts at this. We, we, it's funny how you, you know, people talk, they go, I, I do this as well. It's like, I really hate to say this. You know how people start a sentence like that? And you're like, then don't say it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm going to say it. Well, then you don't really hate to say it. You actually love to say it, don't you? Well, yes. I don't want to hurt your feelings. Yes, you do. <laughs> Why start with a lie? Like, because I got to say that so then I can love every minute of what I'm getting ready to do to you. What are you going to do? I'm going to self-protect and self-promote right in your face. But you know what they're going to do back? Self-protect and self-promote. And then you know what that starts? War. You got a war. Here we go. Anyway, so this, this book. So, so this book took a lot of work and all that stuff. And so yesterday, so two, two, two events occurred yesterday in relation to this work, this book. One is a friend of mine. Um, was meeting with John Voigt. Do you know who John Voigt is? Did people, you know, maybe if you're younger, you don't know who John Voigt is. John Voigt's an Academy Award-winning actor from a lot of stuff. Anyway, and so this, this friend of mine was meeting with John Voigt, and they gave John Voigt two copies of this book. And so then they sent me a picture <laughs> of John Voigt sitting there with two copies of my book right, in, right here in front of him that he's that he's taken with him, and another picture of him holding it. <laughs> I was like, all right, yeah. <laughs> God didn't do that, I did that. My friend did that, and then my friend sent me a picture. <laughs> this is like, John Voight's holding my book. So they sent me a picture, and then I just, you know, hey, do you guys want to see a cool picture? Who is that? It's John Voigt. We don't know who he is. All right. Like, how old is he? Like, what was he in? So, that was how, and I felt like pretty good about that. <laughs> oh. Anyway, and then, and then, in the same, I don't know, the same couple of hours, I find out, I'm told, that not one person, but two people <laughs> were reading this book, and they they hated it, and they threw it across the room. And I quickly turn on the picture of John Voight. <laughs> John, John, rescue me, John. And then I said to Donna, what had more power in my day? The fact that John Voight had two copies, or that some couple... I don't know, together, I don't know how they did it, threw it across the room. Which, which affected me more? The positive or the negative? The negative. 
Why? Because it scared me. Right? John Voigt holding my book doesn't really do anything except be cool, but people, people, like you threw my book across the room, it scares me and it makes me feel like a failure. And there's the enemy and I want to protect myself. So bad. It's a wrong view of yourself. And then if I go into self-protection mode, here's what I can't do. I can't receive joy. I can't receive what God is doing. Because it's not about me. It's about what he's doing. It's not about what I'm doing. It's about what he's doing. So uh, I want to tell you this little story because it came to my mind, partly because of where we are in Monroe um, and partly because of rightly measuring yourself, how deadly it is when we don't do this correctly and, and, and with God and how we don't see where we fit into things because we don't know who we are. And so we're in the wrong place and we're self-promoting and self-protecting and we're all afraid and fracturing. And so, um, so I have a friend, we were, Don and I we were living in Jerusalem and so in Jerusalem working with, particularly with Palestinians um, and so Jerusalem is very racially divided place. It's one of the, we've lived in a lot of conflict zones in the world, but that, this is probably the most difficult for us, just the constant hostility in the air all the time between Jews, Christians, different sects of Christians fighting in the churches over who can step into what part of which Orthodox group's space in the little church, different sects of Judaism fighting with each other, different sects of Islam fighting with each other, and then all of them fighting against each other. It's, it's like it's everywhere it's hard to escape. And so in that, what's the kingdom? Is the kingdom one team beating another team? It's never the kingdom. That's never the kingdom. That's empire. So in this place, in this place, I met a guy, young Palestinian, um, whose life was a failure. He would say, I'm a failure. He went to university, his, which is not an accredited university because the Palestinians where he is, can't go to an accredited university because they're Palestinian. So they're not allowed to go to the accredited university. They can only go to the not accredited university, which means you go four years, pay all the money, and you have a degree that's worthless. So it creates a kind of hostility in people, you know. Uh, anyway, and so then the other thing he can't do is get a driver's license. So he's born in Jerusalem. He's born in Jerusalem. His family's all born in Israel but he has an ID that says you're not really an Israeli, you're actually a Palestinian, it's a B-level citizenship. I don't care what your politics are, this is just the way it goes there. Like you, I'm not care about the politics, I'm just telling this is the way it works. So, he, so when we get to meet with him, our question to him is, who do you say that you are? He says, I'm a, I'm a failure, I'm powerless and alone. And here's the reason why, and it's all true. It's a, th that fact's true, that fact's true, that fact's true. Here's what's not true, you're not powerless and alone. Yeah, but I can't go to an accredited university. I didn't get to go to one, true. Uh, I can't get a driver's license because I'm a Palestinian, true. Therefore, I'm powerless and alone, false, false, false. It's not true. But you need to see yourself the way God sees you, and it's not about you, it's about God and receiving from God and letting God tell you who you are. So, we start this study together, um, of the prophets because he's a Muslim and we're reading through the prophets and he starts to develop wow the prophets are getting their identity from God and when they don't know their identity they're, they're disastrous all of them 
But when they get their identity from God, they know what to do. So he says to me one day, can God get me a driver's license? And you know, like, let's just stay in the Bible because in the Bible, this all works. <laughs> but for a Palestinian young man to get a driver's license from an Israeli police department, I'm not sure God can even do that. But I don't say that, it's just what I believe deep down. So I lie and I say, I think so. <laughs> so, the thing, so to get a driver's license, he has to go down and stand in line all day, which means he, he, he loses his job. He has to stand in, he's already done this three times, stand in line all day, hours. Finally, they call his name. As soon as he gets up, he shows his ID. No, you fail. But legally, he could get one, but they never do it. So he's done this three times. Can God get me a driver's license? If God can do all this stuff in the scriptures, is God able to give to me a driver's license? I say yes. So he pays a guy. This is how they do it. He pays a guy to stand in line because he doesn't want to lose his job. So this is what they all have to do. He pays a guy to stand in line. So now he's in this phase in his life where he's asking God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? What do you say about me? God doesn't call him a Palestinian, actually. God called this guy a healer of the city. So when we did identity prayer together, he called him, you're a healer of a city. And his question back, can you get a healer of a city a driver's license? Like, can you do that? That's a different question. In my true identity, can I receive a driver's license from you, who is the giver of all good things? Pays a guy, stands in line. The guy calls him. They called your name. Get down here. They called your name. He says, I'm not coming. He calls me. They called my name. Get down there. I'm not going. Why? Because I've done it before, and it fails every time. Go in the truth of who you are this time. Go in the truth of who you are this time. Don't go in the false identity. Go in the true identity. Is that difference? Huge difference. Follow me and I will make it. Go. So he goes and gets in line. They call the, the Israeli police officer comes out there. And so I want you to know this, what this whole point of this is God is not just doing a little favor for this guy. God is moving among Israelis, Palestinians, he, in the whole thing. He doesn't have teams. He doesn't have sides. It's all of them. He wants to redeem all of them. Oh, that you would gather under my wings as a mother hen, but you would not. He wants all of them. He doesn't like Saleh. Just, and so the, Saleh walks up to the Israeli policeman and he shows him his ID. And the Israeli policeman goes, get in the car. And Saleh's like, oh no. He's never gotten this far before. He's like, I don't know if I can drive. <laughs> See, you just live your life in the lies so long that when the truth happens, you can't take it. It's like you walk all the way up to Jericho and realize, well, we're going to go in. We're not going to go in. We're grasshoppers and we never go. That's what happens back into the false identity. No, stay in the true. Stay what God calls you. He's the one doing it. It's about him, not you. Okay, he gets in the car. The Israeli guy is like, drive. Driving down the road, he's super nervous. This is his arch enemy, an Israeli policeman in the car with a Palestinian young man. Not a good history together, these two. Driving down the road, he's driving down the road, and he, he, he's super nervous, and he, he's driving. He sees uh, on the side of the road cat that's been hit by a car. He's driving. He hears this voice inside of his head that says, pull over and help the cat. He says, no. Keeps driving. Can't get it out. God, are you telling me? Because this is new to him. God, are you telling me to pull over and help the cat? Yes. Do you understand that I'm with an Israeli policeman? <laughs> Taking a driver's... You know, you have to explain these things to God. 
anyway, and so he can't get it out of his head. He says to the Israeli, did you notice the cat on the side of the road? And the Israeli's like, just drive. And he goes, I think we should stop and help the cat. The Israeli says, why? I think God wants us to help the cat. What's he doing? He's, he's bearing witness to this Israeli about the God who speaks. This is God. This is him working. The Israeli's like, all right, go, let's go. They drive, they pick it out. They look at the cat. It's still alive. The, um, the Israeli policeman says, I have a box in the trunk of the car. Let's scoop the cat in the box. I know where there's a vet. So the Palestinian and the Israeli join together to rescue a cat. And they scoop the cat up and they put it in the trunk and the Israeli goes, you drive, I'll tell you where to go. They jump in the car, drive. And Saleh's going to speed him and the guy's like, no, drive. Disregard all traffic. <laughs> Saleh's like, I'm driving in Jerusalem in a car with a poli Israeli policeman, a cat in the back and the Israeli is, policeman is telling me to drive free. I'm in the kingdom of God. They drive, they race through, they get to the vet, take the cat in. The cat's in there. The Israeli policeman and Saleh are walking in. What's Saleh? He's a healer of the city, starting with a cat and an Israeli policeman and himself. And the Israeli and the pacing. And the guy, the vet comes out. He, the cat's going to be fine. They're like, wow, they high five each other. Get in the car, you drive. He says, so you drive, Saleh back to the station. They're like, wow, that was amazing. The Israeli says, you're a really good driver. You're a good driver. Gives him a driver's license. Sally comes banging on our door. He's, he's kind of a short guy, and there's a gate, and he's, all I can see is his hand up over the gate holding his driver's license. <laughs> he's yelling, God is real. God is real. When we went to see him graduate in the United States of America, with a degree in public health as a healer of the sea. He, at the graduation in this university in Arizona, he brings his Muslim friends, students, to the dinner afterwards, and he goes, do you know what God can do in your life? And he pulls out his driver's license. He goes, he can do this, and he tells his Muslim friends what Jesus can do in your life. That's the right measure of who he is. And what it does is it reconciles the world. Who you are is important. You need to know who you are. Only God knows who you are. And he will say to you in the truth of who you are, follow me and I will make you to become whatever the name is God calls you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Saleh. Thank you for that Israeli policeman. Lord, just thank you how you, you don't have favorites. Peter said it. I now know God chose no favoritism. You love Palestinians. You love Israelis. You love us all. And you're interested in peace. And you're interested that we move among the body in the right measure of who we are by who you say that we are. And so, Lord, just this morning as we're done here, I know all the names the world calls me. I know all the names. You're a failure. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. People throw your book across the room. I know the names the world calls me. And I give those to you, Jesus. And my question is, what do you call me? Who do you say that I am? So that I can be 
walk in measured steps with you. Not too much, not too little. Not self-protecting, not self-promoting, but walking in the truth of who you made me to be. So Lord, this morning, would you just say who you call me to be? And then would you lead me forward into it, into the community, into a broken world that doesn't know who they are? And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.